0: Well, if uh, you have a Bible with you this morning, please turn with me back to that passage we read from in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And I'd like to just direct and draw your attention to verse 4, particularly this morning, where Paul writes, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under The law And my title this morning is The Fullness of the Time. We've been thinking, haven't we, over these last few weeks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. Uh, Those of you who were here uh, last last week will know that we were thinking about the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was it that Christ came to do? And we noted that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his great objective to save those who were lost, those who were undone in their sin. And we noted, of course, it was a successful mission, that Christ succeeded when he died upon that cross in saving sinners. And then we thought last Sunday evening how in doing so he became poor, that we who were spiritually bankrupt could be made rich. And we noted that this was all of his infinite grace, wasn't it, and his love to us. And here in verses 4 and 5, we see that Paul really combines these two things together, that these two thoughts that we were considering last week. We read of God sending his son here in verse 4, made of a woman, made under the law. He reminds us again here of the incarnation and the incredible condescension of Christ. That phrase there, made of a woman, in one sense is one of the most unremarkable statements isn't it in all of the bible you know everyone is born of a woman aren't they but it's highlighting to us that Christ became man that he became poor and Paul also shows us doesn't he what this purpose was in verse five it was the purpose of redeeming us of saving us buying us back like people who would buy slaves in in the marketplace and Jesus Christ came to pay that price to set us free so that we could be rich In verse 5, he talks about how he received the adoption of sons. And in verse 7, Paul makes the point that we're no longer servants but sons and therefore heirs of God through Christ. And heirs receive an inheritance, don't they? The child of God is rich. We have a glorious inheritance, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. But it's not my intention this morning to go over all those things again with you. But rather I want to just focus for a few moments on that phrase that appears at the very beginning of verse 4. Where Paul says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. It's particularly that phrase right there at the beginning, the fullness of the time, that I want to just spend a few moments thinking about with you. It's a, a phrase that's so pregnant with thought and encouragement and challenge to us. And uh, I want us to just think about what this expression is saying to us. And the first thing that I want us to uh, notice about this phrase this morning and about this timing that God uh, mentions here is that it's a divine timing. A divine timing. You just notice what Paul says there. He says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. Now, to understand what I'm trying to drive at this morning, we just need to spend a few moments thinking about the Greek, and I hope you can uh, stay with me on this. Uh, because there's two words in the Greek New Testament that are translated as time. One of the words is chronos. That's the word that we get our word chronological from. And it means simply the passing of time. Some people call it watch Time. It speaks of seconds and minutes and hours and days and so on. It's the time that you measure on a clock or on a calendar. Yesterday we were thinking, weren't we, about Herod and the wise men, and he asks them, what time the star appeared?" And it's the same word, chronos. What chronos? What time was it? Was it two weeks ago? Was it two years ago that the star appeared? What time? But there's another Greek word for time. And that's kairos. And this word refers to a specific moment or a significant event or a critical moment in history. It's something that happens within time, within chronos. And so therefore you can have a kairos, a significant event, within chronos. Sometimes the word in our authorised version is translated as opportunity. It's an opportune time, an opportune moment, a significant moment. And so as we come to this verse here this morning, perhaps some of you here are thinking, well, I know which one of the two is being used. We're talking here about a significant moment. It's a kairos moment. But that's not the word that Paul uses here. Paul uses the word chronos. In other words, Paul is saying to us, it was when the ticking of time had reached its fullness, then God sent his son. God sent his son, you see, at that precisely at the right moment on the clock when he had ordained for him to come. You might wonder why that I've zoomed on on this. Why have I brought this to our attention? Why have we gone through that little, as it were, Greek word study this morning? Well, there are lots of people, aren't there, in history who've done significant things in time. There's lots of people who've been involved in significant moments in history. And maybe that's what Paul was talking about here. Jesus Christ, he came into the world. That was a significant moment in history. God intervened and he brought his son at that at particular point. I mean, Einstein, for example, has left a great impact on history with his scientific discoveries. Napoleon Bonaparte has left his mark, hasn't he, with his, with his conquests. But the point is this, that neither Einstein or Bonaparte or anyone actually controls time. They were born into time, but they don't control time. But Paul uses this word here in connection with the sending of Jesus to show us that God is the one who has created time. He is the one who controls time. He says, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Time was being managed and watched and ordered by God that's why we read at the beginning the Lord reigneth he reigneth over time he controls it all Christ did not come because time ran away from God and he got desperate and knowing then he sent his son nor did he send Christ because the angels desired it or man was pleading for it rather God the father was ordering time and he selected that moment right there back in eternity past when Jesus would come And this shows to us that everything that occurs is because the Lord has foreordained it. You see, time is divinely ordered. Ephesians 1 verse 11 reminds us that God worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You remember how Peter, Peter, on that great sermon on the day of Pentecost, he stated that even the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ was because he was delivered by the determinate and foreknowledge of God. You see, it was all planned, it was all purposed by God because God is above time. Remember what we're told, two places in scripture, one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God sees all of time at every moment. He sees the end from the beginning. He's in control of it all. And friends, this is a wonderfully comforting thought for us this morning as believers. You see, God does not merely influence history, nor does he occasionally step into history with some sort of great act. It's not as if God occasionally does something in this world on a great occasion. But God is controlling all of it. That means that everything that's taken place this year has been divinely ordered. You think back over this year, COVID-19 and the unfolding and changing pandemic, ordered by God. The petrol crisis, the migrant crisis, all ordered by God. Joe Biden becoming the president of the U.S., Ordered by God. The fall of Afghanistan into the hands of the Taliban. Ordered by God. Everything's divinely ordered. Because God rules and reigns. And he does so in mercy, doesn't he? He does so in grace and love. Now we have to be careful here. God is not the author of sin. Man is still an active being. He isn't passive. But because God is sovereign, we know that this world is not out of control. And there are times, aren't there, as believers, when we can be afraid, when we can look at the world's events and we can wonder what is going on. But we need to have the faith of the psalmist. The psalmist said this, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. We need to realise that the Lord is the one who is sovereignly overruling all things. Psalm 31, verse 15, the psalmist says, My times are in thy hands. Perhaps this morning, life perhaps is tough for you. Perhaps you wonder what's going on. Perhaps it's sickness. Perhaps it's infirmity. Perhaps problems with your family. Perhaps you feel the onslaughts of Satan in your life. I don't know perhaps what troubles and trials you're going through, but perhaps you wonder, where is the Lord's? But the wonderful truth that Paul is reminding us here that in the midst of revolutions, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of all pandemics and upheaval, whatever it might be that is thrown against us, we can say, can't we, with the heavenly host in in the heavens that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He is sovereignly ruling over all these things. But there's something else that we can notice here about this fullness of the time. Not only is it a divine time, but it's a precise time, a precise time. Paul tells us that when the fullness, the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. And that word fullness there, it's an interesting word. It carries with it really a number of different uh, ideas and meanings. And one of the, the meanings and senses of the word is ripeness. He's saying here that the sending of the of Christ was at that precise time, the ripe time. The word also has the sense of being filled up. The idea of completeness. You know, you might liken it to the filling of a bottle of water till you reach the top. Paul says the time was full, it was complete. And he's drawing our attention to uh, all those years that took place before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. And he's saying all those years were like filling up. They were ripening till this precise point when Jesus Christ came. In other words, he's saying, look, you know, the whole of the Old Testament, it was leading up to this one moment. As we were singing about earth was waiting, spent and restless, waiting for this one moment when Christ would come waiting for the completion when the saviour would be here we could illustrate this really in a number of different ways you might liken you see to the whole of the old testament to being like a long corridor and there's christ at the very end of the corridor and uh, when you begin the book of genesis christ is a long way off you can't really see him he's a distant sort of hazy figure and then you get the first promise in Genesis 3.15 and we're given just a few details. The seed of the woman is going to bruise the serpent's heads and then as you progress through the book of Genesis as you begin to, as it were, walk down the corridor of time we begin to learn more of him and see more of who Christ is and he becomes a little bit clearer. With each step of time God reveals more details. You go through the book of genesis for example you find that he's going to be a descendant of abraham and then you go a little bit further along the corridor of time you notice he's going to be the, from the tribe of judah carrying on through it's it's revealed to us that the messiah is going to be a great prophet like moses in the book of leviticus with all the types and the shadows you see he's going to be the great priest and then you come down a little bit further onwards you discover that he's going to be from the line of david he's going to be a great king and then you come to the times of the prophets and you get in all these wonderful details, all as we're getting closer and closer and closer to that, the fullness of the time. And you're seeing Christ clearer and clearer. And you think particularly of the prophet Isaiah, how he speaks of his virgin birth. He tells us that his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then, of course, you come to that 53rd chapter particularly and you see, in, in, as it were, in glorious multicolor, you technicolour, you see Christ. And we see there, don't we, that not only is he going to be a great prophet and a great priest and a great king, but he's going to come as a servant and he's going to suffer. He's going to be the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's going to be the one who's going to bear the sins of his people. He's going to die as the great substitute. The one who's going to pour out his soul unto death. And you see with each page of history, With each promise that's given, with each person who acts as a type, we see more and more of what kind of person the Messiah is going to be. And Paul says, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son. It was at a precise time, a predetermined point in history, when the bottle would be filled up to the brim, and the shadows would at last give way to the substance, as the Lord Jesus Christ stepped into this world. It was at that precise point that was agreed in eternity past between the Father and the Son. A time when the old dispensation would be done away with, when the old covenant would go and the new covenant would be ushered in. And friends, we see here the precision of God's timing. It was at exactly the right moment. God was not a moment too soon or a moment too late. So often we are, aren't we? We like to we may be like to be precise, we may like to turn up to an event at the right time, but something gets in the way and it stops us. But God, his timing is precise. And friends, this is true of everything that God does, isn't it? His purposes are always carried out with an unerring precision. We could say, in a sense, that everything that takes place is in the fullness of the time. We see this demonstrated, don't we, all the way through the Bible, God's providence, God's precision. You think about, for example, Genesis 24, Abraham's servant comes to the well just at the time that Rebekah comes to draw water. Genesis 37, Joseph comes to Dothan just when a certain man, it tells us, found him. Ruth and Naomi, didn't they, they just happened to return at the time of barley harvest. And Ruth just happened to glean in the field of Boaz. David, he goes out to see his brothers, doesn't he, at the battlefield. Just at the point that Goliath comes out to defy the armies of the living gods. You go all the way through scripture. What do we read of Esther? Esther was there for such a time as this. God's timing is always precise. Daniel says that it is God who changeth the times and the seasons? He removeth kings and setteth up kings. And here Paul tells us that the coming of the Redeemer was at God's precise time. And if you were to look even at the life of Christ, you'll see this truth being consistently upheld, not just in his birth, but all the way through his life. You remember, there were times, weren't there, when the people sought to kill Christ? They wanted to stone him. One time they tried to push him off a cliff, but it was not the time. In John 7, we're told that Christ walked in Galilee because the Jews sought to kill him. And Jesus did so, he says, because my time is not yet fully come. When you come to Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, you see this. Two occasions here where where Jesus references his time, his time. And he's talking here about the precision, you see, again, of God's timing. Everything that Christ did, it was precise. Matthew 26, the feast of the Passover, the Saviour sends his disciples into the city to prepare the meal. Jesus says in Matthew 26 in verse 18, he says, Go into the city to such a man and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. He's constantly aware of his time. And then you go on a few verses into Matthew 26 and verse 45. Notice what he says there. They're in the garden of Gethsemane. And the disciples are asleep. He says, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of of sinners in Mark's gospel he actually says the hour is come here is the moment here's the precise time there's been foreordained. John tells us that he even prayed save me from this hour but the precise time had come God you see was ordering all things precisely and isn't that true in our own lives doesn't the Lord order everything precisely in our lives It reminds me of something I was reading recently about a man who was converted under the ministry of C.H. Spurgeon. This gentleman was uh, going to commit a burglary with two friends. And they agreed to meet at the Elephant and Castle near the Metropolitan Tabernacle at a certain time. And at a certain time they would then go and commit the burglary. But this young man, he turned up and he'd forgotten his watch. He didn't know what time it was. And so he went into the church thinking there would be a clock on the wall. And it turns out that he found himself sitting there, listening to a sermon being preached by Spurgeon, and he was convicted of his sin. And he came to faith in Christ. And you see, God had planned it in that way. That man would forget his watch. He was going out. He was bent on doing a crime. And yet he ended up being convicted of his sin and wonderfully converted. You see, he'd walked in at just the right time. He'd forgotten his watch, and it was on a Sunday, and he went just at the time of the service, and he heard just the sermon. Amazing, we might say, but you see, with God, this is the ordinary. God plans everything, He's precise. And, friends, isn't this our experience? Isn't this your testimony in your life? Can you not look back over your life and see and trace the almighty hand of God and see His unerring accuracy? Life is not random, it's not haphazard, is it? Life is not just a series of events, you know, one after the other. But everything is ordered precisely by the Lord's. We can look back sometimes and we can wonder, can't we, why, why things have happened. We may look back on this year and wonder why we had to go through the experiences we've gone through this year. Perhaps certain trials you've endured, perhaps bereavement, perhaps sickness. And you may say, why, Lord's? Yet everything has its appointed season. Solomon told us, didn't we, in that reading, to everything there is a season. There's a time to weep. There's a time to laugh. God orders and arranges every part of our lives perfectly. The bitter as well as the sweets. The trials that you've been through this year, they may have been too severe for you for another year. you ever thought about that? That if you had suffered what you suffered this year, two years ago, it may have been too much for you. But God in his grace gave you the trial this year. You see, God measures all things. It's always in the fullness of the time. There's a third thing that I think we could say about this timing. We've seen it's a divine time. We've seen it's a precise time. But I think we should notice lastly also it's the best time. The best time. Now we can have plans, can't we, and we can do things and we may decide that we're going to do something at a certain day and a certain time and we may do it at that precise time. But then maybe an hour after the event or two days or two years after that time we say, well actually that wasn't the best time. We did it at the precise time but it wasn't the best time. But that's not so with the Lord's. You notice what Paul says here, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. He says it was at that precise moment that it had been foreordained, but it was also the best time. It was the most appropriate time. You see, the word fullness there also conveys this sense. We said it has this sense of being ripe. Well, he wouldn't pluck and eat an unripe piece of fruit. It wouldn't be the best time. And when Christ came, it wasn't just a precise time, but it was the best and the most appropriate time. Many historians and theologians have pointed this out about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the exact moment in history when Christ came, it couldn't have been a better time to bring the Saviour into the world. All the previous history, you see, had been leading up to this point. We haven't time this morning to consider it in detail, But it's worth looking at and looking at some of the the, the pieces of writing, of of historical writing that show all the things that were leading up to this moment. You think just with me, think about the ancient Greek empire and civilization, which had come and gone. It left behind a universal language. And it gave a, a degree of cohesion to society. Everyone was speaking Greek. There was advancement in politics and philosophy and learning. And Christ's birth was at that point of the Roman Empire, right at its zenith, right at its height of its power and its influence. And when Christ came, there was a degree of stability across the whole world. Not only that, but the Romans had implemented a large road system, hadn't they, throughout the Roman Empire. And you think about that, when Christ came, there's this great road system so that when the gospel is taken forth it can go forth with great ease and and people can reach all the corners of the world there could not be a better time for the incarnation of the son of god now we also have to say there's a degree of great unknown here why this particular point we can see various things that all lead to this to this point when jesus christ comes the peace of the roman empire the the universal greek language and so on we can see all of this but there's a degree in which it's inscrutable isn't it but we know it's the best time it was the time ordained by God. it was the most appropriate moment friends isn't this true in our own lives too There may be times when God's ways seem perplexing and they're inscrutable. But we can be assured of this truth that everything that is done is always done at the best time and the most appropriate time. We read those words in Ecclesiastes 3, that God has made everything beautiful in his time. And friends, circumstances may seem chaotic, but there's an admirable beauty to them because God is controlling them. Every event is perfect in all its parts. It's suitable, it's beautiful, it's ordered. Charles Bridges states this that even evil, even evil, though in itself is most revolting, yet by the wise exercise of omnipotence is overruled for goods. And he goes on to say this that it exhibits the beauty of the divine workmanship. Even evil, even all the sin that takes place in this world, even all the wickedness, God is using it and overruling it and guiding it for good. And it exhibits the beauty of God's workmanship. Friends, what a comfort this should be to us this morning, especially as we close one year out and we will shortly, God willing, begin a new year. What a comfort to know that God is overruling and ordering all things and he's disposing all things for his glory. It's beautiful. It's harmonious. It's always at the precise time. It's always at the best time. What a comfort as we journey through this Sin cursed world, as we're on that road that leads to the heavenly city, then knowing that all these things, as Paul tells us, are working together for our goods, to them that know God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And Paul says to hear us to hear, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son. But it also should remind us, shouldn't it? Not only did God in the fullness of time send forth his son then at a divine time, a precise time, the best time but there's a day coming when Christ will come again and again it will be in the fullness of the time and it will be at a precise time. It will be God's appointed time and it will be the best time. And friends, what a day that will be when our Jesus we shall see But friends, until that day, may we take confidence in this truth that God is working all things together for our goods, that our times are in his hands.